0: Greetings and welcome to the Audio-Etheric Transmission, The Tales of Sage and Savant. Our tale stars Eddie Louise as Dr. Petronella Sage, Chip Michael as Professor Erasmus Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Mix Abigail Entwistle, and myself, Justin Bremer, as your humble narrator. If you want to learn more of the stories of Sage and Savant and the reasons why I record these broadcasts, you can pick up our book, Transmigrations, available on our website and everywhere books are sold. This month's program, entitled A Friend in Need, is sponsored by chicktech.org and features the music of Victor Sierra. And now, without further ado, we bring you the tales of Sage and Savant. When last we saw our doctor, she was confounded by love and angry at the world. Unfortunately, she has chosen to channel that anger unto her work in a manner best described as reckless. She has made repeated visits to les chargés de la Faire, some of which were for a meeting with Calypso but many of which involve her inhabiting the SBMI of Charles and venturing out into the world, happy at last to experience the freedom of being a man in her own time, unfettered by the expectations and limitations of her sex. One unfortunate side effect of this practice has developed. The more our doctor bounces into the SBMI, the more I have to struggle to maintain the telesensate link when she is there. It is almost as if whatever has been done to render these bodies blank also affects entanglement. Of course, not being aware of my presence, Sage is excited when a cable arrives informing her that the Calypso she has come to think of as Sly Calypso is available in Paris. It is perfect timing, because the doctor is ready to test her latest piece of equipment, a copper induction table. Clad in Faraday armor as usual, Sage stands on the center dais. Where there are normally three leather-covered slabs, there are now two blank spaces and one new copper-clad table. This table is connected to the whirling dynamo overhead by spiraling lengths of copper wire affixed at each of the four corners. Sage takes her place against the plinth and straps in. Laboratory
1: of Dr. Petronella Sage, King's College, 3rd March 1896. The first copper induction table is manufactured and ready for testing. The free electron concentration in copper is n equals 8.5 times 1028 per square meter, and those electrons move in place, rather like a swarm of bees. The usual interactions of electricity are based on exciting those electrons into a chain of current. By covering the surface of the plate, in a thin sheet of copper plating, I believe this induction table will disperse the electricity across the surface area, exciting the electrons without chaining them into current. It should make for a shorter, more encompassing, and stable electrical jolt to engender transmigration. I plan to thoroughly test the induction table by repeated transmigrations myself before constructing matching ones for the other transmigrationists. The professor and Mix Inwistle have been told to take the week off. To avoid adding the complication of triage to this test, I shall translaterally migrate into the SBMI named Charles at Les Chargés de la l'Affaire headquarters. I telegraphed my intention to Calypso last evening, so the body should be vacant and awaiting my first arrival. In order to quantify any and all physical effects, I shall transmigrate multiple times with a 10-minute recall window.
0: I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen, but I am not wholly comfortable with the doctor undertaking these tests without Abigail present to monitor the process and oversee the doctor's safety. Not since the first weeks after the accident that sent her and the professor to Auerstadt has Sage been this reckless with her own personal safety. Regardless, the doctor returns the Edison tube to its cradle on the swing-out control console. She presses a button, and the efficient and ingenious automatic system takes over. The copper-clad table she stands against ratchets backwards into an incline, which brings the toes of her boots into contact with a small, water-filled trough that circles the dais. The glass dynamo above her head fills with churning bands of electricity, which begin to intertwine and spin. As the energy strengthens, it weaves together in a hypnotic and deadly spiral. The tonal chimes of transmigration ring out as cladney bows draw pitches from the metal, prayer bowls sing out, and 50,000 volts of electricity race along coils of wire and encounter the new copper table. A sound like rushing wind. No, more like a swarm of bees. No, that is not quite right either. It, it is something like the rush you hear at that moment when you dive into water. A swooshing, buzzing splash of a sound. A rush of confidence washes over the doctor. This is the noise of a million excited electrons that are not being channeled into current, but instead blossom upwards in a dazzling pattern over Sage's body, engulfing her entire being in light as she explodes outwards on her journey. Sage awakens in the body known as Charles, reclining on his bed in the small room at Le Chargé de la Fère headquarters in Paris. There is a tiny moment of disorientation where Sage frantically scans the room, unsure of her whereabouts. But that passes in an instant and she relaxes.
1: I am in Paris. Well, it seemed so much quicker this transmigration-
0: Sage lets her thought trail off as she stands from the bed and crosses the room to the small desk under the window. She opens the small drawer and draws out a sheaf of papers and a pen. She sits in the chair and hastily scratches out notes, aware that she has only given herself a few moments before the recall.
1: Supplemental Notes Test 1 Outward Journey for Dr. Petronella Sage, 3rd March, 1896. The new induction table performed the first outgoing journey with exemplary results. The translateral journey was smoother somehow. There was. Less of a sense of lost time in between exiting my own body, and entering Charles. To such a degree that I was nearly sure upon awakening that I'd simply reopened my eyes, and was shocked not to see my own laboratory. The recall chimes are set for ten minutes.
0: Sage sets down her pen and returns to her bed, crossing her arms and reposing as if to sleep. In mere moments, she departs the body and returns to her own lab. The doctor opened her eyes and immediately reached for the console. She inclined her slab just enough to reset the buttons and the clockwork, and then pulled the speaking tube for the Edison recorder to her mouth and started the wax cylinder spinning.
1: Laboratory of Dr. Petronella Sage King's College, 3rd March 1896. The first test of the new copper induction platform was an unqualified success. I noticed a distinct shortening of the out-of-body time and there seems to have been less stress on my body through this process. I'm sensing no signs of headache, burns, dry eye, nor in fact any of the symptoms that have accompanied transmigration to this point. I have reset the system to duplicate the journey once again. The duration is set to 10 minutes.
0: Petra hangs up the speaking tube and pushes the button to begin the process. Once again the sound and light crescendo until her consciousness is flung outwards to land in the body she has come to think of as her SBMI in Paris. This time there is no disorientation and Petra practically leaps from the bed to make her notes.
1: Supplemental Notes Test 2, Outward Journey, 3rd March, 1896. Return Journey was singularly uneventful and showed no signs of poor physical effects nor mental ones, though I believe I should test my mental acuity to ensure there's no hidden damage being done to my intellect.
0: Petra scratches an equation on her notes using random numbers and then works to solve the problem with quick and methodical grace. She does not stutter and is satisfied that the new, more intense electrical output from the induction table is not adversely affecting her ability to think. She returns to the bed, reclines, and is recalled to her own body. She repeats this experiment again and again. On her fifth time to arrive in Paris, she opens her eyes to find Calypso in her room reading through the supplemental notes.
2: Oh, hello, Clipso. Greetings, Dr. Sage. I see today's the day you invent the induction method for the apperception transfer.
1: Congratulations. Yes. Uh, Well, thank you. I do believe it will allow transmigration without trauma, or with more limited trauma at least. I should be quite happy if I never bore another Lichtenberg figure, for example. Indeed. But of course, you cannot tell me if that is the case. I cannot. And so, I will continue my experiments if that is all the same to you. Is that why all the coming and going? Yes. I decided it would be easier to measure the exact physical impact of the induction table if I were not experiencing any residual trauma from occupying a body that had been recently rendered dead. The SBMI,
2: being blank, does not transfer feeling, emotional or otherwise, onto your consciousness.
1: Yes, I see. The chimes will recall me in just a couple of moments. I should like to make my notes, and then I will do the round trip again, only this time I will set the recall for... How much time will you have for me? Yes, of course.
2: I'm here on a three-day assignment. Why don't you meet me in the parlour? I'll have Yvette brew some tea. And I do believe there may be a croissant or two left over from
0: breakfast. Sage did just that, and once the tea was poured, the two conspirators got right to business.
1: I've given a great deal of thought to your query and have come to believe that, as you suggested, perfecting transmigration into living hosts would be an efficacious way to expand the viability of the technology. But I am curious. Are you not from the future? If I had been successful at such a line of inquiry, would you not already be able to do such a thing? What makes you think developing simultaneous inhabitation would
2: preclude the use of cadaver occupation?
1: (laughs) Yes, I see. And you believe that there is a pitch modulation or setting I can use on my end to predispose the occupation of dead or living hosts. The only way to test that would be to discover what it was that allowed me to inhabit Claude Duval. Precisely. Well, I do still have two days before mix Entwistle or the professor returns to the lab.
0: And I have lost connection with the doctor. What dark rabbit hole of inquiry will the doctor fall down? I will endeavor to reestablish the telesensation link and bring you up to date after this short musical break. And now, dear friends, we invite you to listen to the talented melodical expressions of Victor Sierra. Pain
3: running around my brain all day I must get a grip on myself They want me to think the same old way And leave my senses on the shelf I'd like to flee this kingdom over me And speak with the master of clocks we fight over the theory And spend every night on the docks Sustaining a never-ending end verity is fading away Some pretend to be beacons in the night Strutting with very little to say Arguments and facts Intellect
0: facts and now back to our story when we left our doctor she was planning a line of inquiry that veers off the path of her stated transmigratory rules how far off i am unable to tell you because i lost the telesensation link before that piece of information was revealed I cannot tell you how long the doctor stayed in Paris or what plans she specifically made. What I can tell you is the next file is dated 7th March 1896. Sage is suited up and ready to go, her trajectory set for June 1669. She has given herself 12 hours before recall. The automated equipment enters its dance and Sage follows the rising tide of electricity into the past. The doctor arrives in the body of Claude Duval, the notorious highwayman she has inhabited before. In a new twist, she arrives while the man is standing and fully conscious. Claude Duval, Highwayman, Rake handsome ladies' man, and all-around bonhomie stands in the middle of a maelstrom, a titan amidst a tide of horses being coupled and decoupled from coaches, dogs running under feet of working men and horses alike, and women attempting to raise their skirts as they make their way into a coaching inn alongside gaggles of masculine passengers. Duval staggers a moment, as if his autonomic system ceased function for a fraction of a second but then he settles and regains upright posture. The doctor looks around her to assess her position and is momentarily startled to see she is standing upright.
1: <gasps> oh, that is new.
0: what do you say, Claude?
1: I'm, I'm sorry, uh, nothing, uh, where were we?
0: About to go and drink to our success today. Hard to forget that. Right you are, we must drink. Sage follows the man into the coach house, but she doesn't think to duck her head for the low-hanging lintel. The heavy wooden crossbeam in the doorway would be more than high enough for the doctor's own form, but Claude Duval is a much taller sort of person. Uh. The beam catches her straight across the forehead, causing her to stagger backwards into the woman following them into the inn.
1: Oh! Watch your step! My sincerest apologies,
0: mademoiselle. As if the impact had jarred something loose inside her head, Sage hears the faint rattle of a voice. Please, leave. Oh Claude, did you start drinking already? Here, watch your head. The man helps Petra to a seat and wanders off in search of ale. Petra reaches up to rub gently at the goose egg forming on her brow. The voice in her head rattles again, this time sounding louder. I do not know why you keep taking residence up in my head. Sage tilts her head as if that somehow will bring the voice into focus, but her companion reappears with tankards of ale, distracting her from the internal dialogue. might mate'll be along in a moment with food. Toldin' the hole to seven today. Sorry. I know English sausages are not your favorite.
1: Yes, well needs must.
0: Sage is bothered by that interior voice. The voice she instinctively knows is Claude Duval himself. She is acting so outwardly inconscient that it catches the attention of her companion. Claude, I think you might have hit your head a bit harder than I thought. You're not about to have another fits, are you? I'm fine. I- I'm hungry, that's all. Well, you can eat alone if that's your mood. Her companion takes his ale and moves off to another table. <sighs>
2: Thank God.
0: I do not know who you are. Angel, demon,
4: god, it does not matter. I do not want you here.
0: Not knowing what else to do, Petra attempts to start a dialogue direct with the person in her head.
1: My name is Dr. Petronella Sage. I mean you no harm. Oh, no
4: harm indeed, apart from killer headaches and an increased instances of paralysis. After you depart,
1: well, I am sorry, but is it possible that those effects came from you fighting my temporary presence? Maybe if you could just relax.
4: Relax? I am being
1: invaded. Not invaded, just occupied. Oh how that might be seen in a negative light. I wonder if I can find a way to put the original consciousness into a sleep state.
0: Unaware of the effect her thoughts are having on the consciousness of the man whose body she occupies, Sage continues her rather calculated consideration of how best to suborn another person's free will.
1: If, as I suspect, the epileptic fits are the reason I'm able to enter this body whilst the original occupant is alive, then perhaps a close study of an epileptic in my own time...
4: (sighs) You are a saboons? A leech? I detest the type. They poke and prod and provide nothing useful. No wonder the very fact of you makes my skin crawl.
1: Monsieur Duval, you have a reputation of great chivalry towards the ladies. Could you not employ some measure of that now and allow this lady the time and space to think? It must be a brain enzyme. Or perhaps.
0: Dieu, be gone! Sage feels a searing pain and then a horrible tearing sensation. For a moment, she can still see the inn courtyard through a veil of tears, but then all goes black. She awakens back on the slab with a vicious headache. Sage pulls herself up from the slab, goes to the washroom to splash water on her face, then returns to the central platform and takes up the Edison tube.
1: Laboratory, Dr. Petronella Sage, King's College, 9th March 1896. The first focused attempt at cooperation transmigration was only partly successful. I arrived at a coachyard in 1669 in the upright body that I believe was Claude Duval. I have never before regained consciousness in an erect state. It was disorienting to go from being prone here in the laboratory to suddenly standing in the middle of a busy coachyard. If I am to succeed in perfecting a process of deathless occupation, I will need to devise a method to overcome or at the very least avoid such disorientation. I believe, for now, the best way to handle this is to enter a body when they can naturally be expected to be asleep. As such, I shall need to review my record to see if I can establish a pattern to predict the time of day we arrive at a transmigration destination. In previous transmigrations, did the time in between one body and the next remain constant, or did it vary by location? Once I pin down that measurement, I will need to transmigrate a few times from the new induction table to discover the in-between interval when deployed in a variety of times and locations. Lastly, I will use this data to establish the time of transmigration most likely to place me in Claude Duval's body when he is asleep.
0: Sage changed out of her Faraday armor, threw a muslin wrapper over her chemise and drawers, and settled into her office for a deep dive into the data. She worked feverishly through the next two days, stopping only occasionally for tea and stale biscuits. The morning of March 9th dawned, and the sound of the elevator jarred Sage from her fugue state. Good morning, pet. Uh, Oh. Oh my.
1: Has something gone wrong? Erasmus? Of course nothing has gone wrong. Whatever gave you that idea?
4: You're obviously making some changes to the equipment, but I only see one slab on the dais. You're clad only in your wrapper and your hair is, oh, pardon me dear, a disheveled mess. There are great outs and pages of formula scattered all over the floor? Are you sick? Did you have to interrupt work for the flu? (laughs) You should have called me. I
0: would have come at once to nurse you. Petra's first thought was to deny it, but she stopped herself. The excuse of an illness would buy her understanding and perhaps more time. The thought of lying to the professor placed a knot of sour self-loathing in the pit of her stomach but it would divert his questions and spare them both from another argument over the ethics of co-inhabiting live bodies.
1: No. Well, yes, I, I have been, but I am feeling a little better this morning. All is well with you, I hope.
4: Oh, yes, yes. Work on the book is progressing well, but let's talk about you. When was the last time you ate? Slept?
1: I slept? I do have a bedroom here in the lab, you know. And food? A day or two ago. I'm not really sure. Petra. I've had tea and biscuits.
4: Tea and biscuits are not nearly enough for you to keep up your strength. You need soup, bone broth at the least.
1: I didn't have the energy to go out and get any.
4: Well then, I shall bring some to you. Really, Petra,
1: you should have sent for me. I've been taking care of myself when sick for years. Mother was never really the nurturing sort, and when she drove nurse away, I had to take responsibility for myself. I've been doing it since I was eight, and I am fine.
4: Being able to take care of yourself and being forced to are two different things, Petra. Relying on another person, especially one who loves you, is one of the joys of forming a partnership.
1: I relent, but I don't need soup, Erasmus. I assure you, I'm on the road to recovery this morning. Perhaps a full breakfast is in order. Would you mind popping around to Queen's Head and getting me one? I'll take a shower and make myself presentable whilst you are gone.
0: The funny thing about lies is that they hurt when you first say them, but the pain quickly dissipates. If the lie achieves what you want it to... It can even give you a small feeling of satisfaction, of relief. Petra experienced exactly that feeling as the professor obeyed her wishes. It would only be later, in the dark, alone with her own soul, that she'd think of the damage to their relationship if she allowed that light to stand or, God forbid, built on its foundation. Erasmus had been right, though. She needed sleep.
1: Diary of Petronella Sage 7 March 1896. I've just been caught out by Erasmus. I've been in a research haze for two days as I determine the length of time, in relation to Greenwich Mean, that our consciousnesses spend in between bodies. I'm slightly ashamed that I hadn't thought to determine this previously, though I may not have been able to determine it at all due to lack of comparative data. In any case, my friend's natural solicitousness, solicitousness and inability to see the bigger picture, coming one supposes from his study of minutiae, leads me to dilemma. Do I confess the entirety of my endeavor and suffer the counter arguments he will most assuredly present? Or do I continue on my course and keep some aspect of my research to myself? I'm uncertain the best course at this point, but in any case, will be spared the immediate decision by my distinct need for sleep. I shall retire to restore my body, and when I awaken, I'll construct the two additional induction tables. The performance of these tasks should help me clarify my thoughts and decide upon a strategy.
0: One of the reasons I believe that Petronella Sage is not well known in the annals of medical science is the strict hands-on approach she takes in her work. In medical expression, she is far more like a da Vinci than a Pasteur. She truly enjoys the process of manufacturing the machines on which she carries out her experiments. We shall leave Dr. Sage to her efforts and pause for a word from our sponsor.
1: Hello, listeners. Eddie Louise here, head writer of the Tales of Sage and Savant. I started writing this story because I wanted to imagine a world where women could be mad scientists, where the sex you were assigned at birth didn't limit the range of your imagination or the scope of your opportunities. That is the world that our sponsor, Chick Tech, envisions. They are working for a safe, inclusive, and innovative technology future that includes equal pay, participation, and treatment of women. They are dedicated to retaining women in the technology workforce and increasing the number of women and girls pursuing technology-based careers. Chick Tech facilitates hands-on technology-centric events and programs to empower, support, and increase the confidence of women and girls. Through their events, they build community, empower participants to see themselves as leaders, and provide networking and mentoring opportunities in the rapidly growing high-tech industry. Chick Tech empowers community members to change the face of technology in their city. With chapters across the country, they've built a multi-generational movement where people everywhere are improving their lives, the lives of girls in their area, and the technology industry itself. To learn more about this amazing organization, check out their website at www.chicktech.com. Org. That's www.chictech.org
0: Yes, dear friends, you heard it here. Support Chick Tech, the organization that believes in women scientists. And now, back to our show. Petra completed the construction of the additional induction tables and, though it was the middle of the night, promptly took herself back to Paris translaterally. Part of her had been hoping that her SBMI was occupied by another scientist and that she could test her sleep theory at the same time as she indulged her growing desire to walk through life as a man. The person Sage has come to know as Sly Calypso had telegrammed that she was no longer in residence. So Petra behaved like a teenager and climbed out the window and onto the roof seeking the freedom that only this masculine form could provide in the middle of the night. Petra stayed out, sampling the nightlife of Paris. Or at least, that is what I assume she did. I lost contact with her just 15 minutes after her arrival. I've been thinking about the problems I have staying entangled with the doctor when she is in the SBMI. I've long heard it said that a person might cease acting like themselves, but I wonder if that colloquialism is somehow based in a deeper understanding. That maybe the self is more than a singular. What if the self is a changing, growing, morphing entity? An entity with a core factor that doesn't change, or if and when it does change, leads to a new sort of self entirely. If this is the case, then in order to maintain telesensation, it would be necessary to occasionally establish links when one party or the other has undergone such change. I believe I might be in need of just such a refresh with the doctor. In the meantime, regardless of the difficulties I face, I shall endeavor to keep you updated on the doctor's whereabouts and activity. Unfortunately, I cannot provide the same service for her friends. Good morning, Hello, Petra. Doctor! Petra? Doctor? The laboratory is quiet and dim. The spring morning dawned with a quiet, soft rain, and the gloomy sky overhead gives the laboratory a deserted feel. There are no lights on other than the soft glow of the transmigration panel, casting eerie shadows across the unoccupied body of Petra Sage.
2: Oh dear. She's transmigrated without us. I've explained to her that she risks invalidating her signs by not following proper protocols. Every experiment needs an observer.
4: And she was just sick with the flu. <sighs> How did she build these tables and just take off?
2: I can picture her arguing that what a body needs after illness is complete rest. And without her present, there is nothing for her body to do but rest.
4: And by that reasoning, transmigration is good for the flu. <laughs> <laughs> you are right. That will be her exact reasoning. Can you tell where she's gone? Hmm. Settings
2: would indicate Europe, Paris, if I'm remembering my pitches right. Now let's check year. Huh. Well,
4: that's strange. What's strange?
2: Well, the time is set to now.
4: But what do you mean now?
2: I mean, she has not set a date either forward or backward in the harmonics. The outgoing pitch for time is the same pitch used for recall, for here and now. That doesn't make sense.
4: Do you think she's discovered how to move through space without moving through time?
2: I don't know. I don't think so. Wouldn't it be more likely that the, the switches have lost tension, maybe? No. Well, that's not it. What are you up to, Dr. Sage? What should we
4: do? Should we recall her? Do you want to
2: be the one to voluntarily thwart the designs of Petra
4: Sage? No, no, you're right. Mm -hmm. She would be furious to have her free will overwritten in that manner.
2: Uh, Well, her recall is set for mid-afternoon today. Oh,
4: well, that's good. We won't have long to wait for an explanation.
2: Well, perhaps I should do a medical exam on her body just in case. We wouldn't want her lying there racked with fever. Do you want to stay? No.
4: I have a great deal of writing I must do if I'm to get my book done. I could also use the time to compose my argument for why Petra should never go off alone like this. (laughs) (sighs) Good
2: luck with that. Let me know if you develop an argument that works.
0: And so, our friends offer the Doctor the dignity of free will, a dignity that she seems all too ready to strip from others. Will the professor be able to recall the doctor to the better angels of her nature? Will Petra once again recall herself? We'll find out in the next episode of The Tales of Sage and Savant. The Tales of Sage and Savant is a Twin Star production brought to you on the first of each month from our Southern California studios. Starring Eddie Louise as Sage, Chip Michael as Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Abigail, and Justin Bremer as the narrator. Soundtrack music, sound design, and audio engineering by Chip Michael. The theme song for Season 3 was interpreted and recorded by Valentine Wolfe. Special music in this episode was provided by Victor Sierra. Check them out at victorsierra.net. We would like to extend our gratitude to this month's sponsor, Chick Tech. Episode 308, A Friend in Need, was written by Eddie Louise. Are you interested in the historical and scientific information we included in this episode? Like us on Facebook or check out our website, sageandsavant.com, to find the facts behind the fiction. And finally, as always, we urge you to remember that death is no barrier to science.